everyone, and welcome to the Modern Money Smart Pod. I'm Colin Hogan. And I'm Sean McMahon. You know, Sean, ESG investing has been on a wild ride lately. It certainly has. You know, after being the darling of the investing world and attracting record amounts of capital, questions are now starting to be asked about the efficiency and even the legitimacy of some ESG metrics and trends. And as you've probably heard, policymakers in some GOP strongholds here in the U.S., are even trying to punish investment firms that embrace certain ESG principles. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard to differentiate the signal from the noise, but our guest today is going to help us sort through the noise and give us an update on where things stand when it comes to capital flows and the energy transition. Luisa DeMauro is the head of energy transition at Bloomberg Neff, and she's going to walk us through a pair of reports that the team at BNEF recently released. One is their annual Power Transition Trends report, and the other is a special look at the state of clean energy funding in emerging markets and developing economies. After all, we are talking about some serious amounts of capital. In 2021, there was roughly $785 billion deployed at the global level for energy transition technologies. And despite all the anti-ESG noise, there are still tons of financial firms that are looking to invest in green bonds and other areas of sustainable finance. For sure. Luiza is going to explain how the private sector has become more and more willing to deploy capital to emerging markets, but investors are looking for certain country-specific and project-specific criteria before they go all in. This should be a great conversation. But before we get rolling, here's a quick word from the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, MFS Investment Management. Low returns, volatility, risk. Today's bond markets can be challenging for institutional investors. At MFS Investment Management, our disciplined yet flexible, active, 360 fixed income approach allows us to navigate changing markets, striving to drive long-term returns across market cycles. To learn more, visit mfs.com slash fixed income. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. My guest is Luisa DeMoro, the head of energy transitions at BNEF. Luisa, how are you doing today? Hi, Sean. I'm great. Thank you for having me here. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So we brought you in today. Obviously, you know, you're an expert in this field and your team recently released the power transition trends for 2022, you know, a report that dives into where things are going in the, in the global energy landscape. So what were some of the key takeaways that your team found? This is a report that we launch every year with as you mentioned, looking at where we are and where we are going in terms of transition of the power sector. This report came with like a bittersweet taste and includes really bad, but also good and promising news. The bad news is that the world recorded an unprecedented spike in coal generation. Coal generation jumped 80.5% between 2020 and 2021. And this it's quite sad because when the pandemic started, the globe was hoping that we'd actually see generation from fossil fuel technologies and emissions going down, which it has proven to not be through. There are a few main reasons why we saw coal generation going up significantly last year. The world has started rebounding from the pandemic really quickly, and there was a need to provide and supply this growing demand. Uh, coal was a solution in many cases. We also saw in 2021 much lower hydro generation uh, due to droughts in many countries around the world. And of course, we started seeing gas prices going up. 
so many countries saw coal as a solution to just lower the cost of generating electricity. And this, of course, sadly led to a significant increase in emissions, which was a direction that was the opposite of what most people were actually hoping to see, right, uh, when the pandemic started. That was like one of the bright sides of the pandemic in 2020 that ended up not not really happening. So what was some of the good news that your team found from the report? <laughs> the good news relates to renewables. So renewables, specifically wind and solar, saw some milestones in 2021. And one of them is that for the first time ever, wind and solar together were able to supply 10% of all power produced in the globe in 2021. And this is a huge milestone, a bit far from where we actually need to be, but it shows that we're actually progressing. And we also saw big uh, numbers in terms of wind and solar capacity installed in 2021. So how much was that? How much wind was added around the world, wind and solar? Uh, At a global level, wind and solar accounted for about three quarters of all capacity installed in the world. And we saw about, from all technologies, 360 gigawatts of capacity installed. So wind and solar together made up to about 270 gigawatts in 2021. And just for comparison, uh, when we refer to those big numbers, this is almost three times the size of Mexico. So wind and solar together added almost three times the total capacity installed in Mexico today. So this is this is quite big. Yeah, of course. And so with all those news sources coming online, were there any regions or, or countries that led the way? Do you want to guess? Do I want to <laughs> guess? Well, I mean, China. I would guess China you know, brought on a lot. Europe, Middle East. Uh, yeah. You're the expert here. I got some guesses, but you got the report. <laughs> well, Asia, over the past few years, Asia is always the half. Like No matter what we're looking at, Asia is going to be the half of the story, and China is always going to be about a third of it. So I was and right. Wait, my guess was you correct. You were right, yeah. Give me some credit. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So both for generation, capacity installed, everything, uh, Asia is about half of it. And China is about 30% or a third of the total global. This is true for the annual generation in 2021. Asia is also, in a way, the driver of part of the bad news. So Asia is the region where we saw power demand growing the most in 2021, following the pandemic, uh, while the world saw it growing about like 5.5% from 2020 to 2021, Asia saw it growing 9% and China alone saw it growing 10%. And Asia is highly fueled by coal. So that explains a lot of the growth in coal generation. On the coal side, together with China and India, US was the other driver of it, which is not good news considering that developed nations should be actually just being at the forefront of the transition. But on the renewable side, Asia is also driving and leading the way. So for 2021, for example, China and the US are the top markets for wind and solar additions. They are bigger than any other countries over the decade, but also last year. And for solar, they are followed by India, Brazil, and Japan. For wind, they are followed by Vietnam, Sweden, and Germany. So we saw the two big markets, China and the US at a global level, but we also start seeing some variety when we look at other countries that are becoming big markets for 
these two technologies. So are there any countries where there's just nothing going on in terms of developed countries where we should be expecting more? I know you kind of talked about how there's a plus and a minus to the, the story of China and the U.S. and some other places, but but who's kind of sitting on the sidelines? Is there anybody? The sad news is that the answer is most of them. While we see renewables, especially wind and solar, and especially solar actually, spreading to more and more countries every year, we still see in absolute numbers the deployments very concentrated on the big markets. When we look at the emerging markets, including China, the story is about China. But if we exclude China from this picture, then the 10 big markets concentrate at least 80% of the total capacity deployment. And the other over 100 emerging markets just split the rest, even then not equally. And we have just launched a report looking at the state of energy transition emerging markets and how to start mobilizing more capital to those countries. And what we see is very concerning, to be honest, because while we need to ensure that emerging markets transition away from fossil fuels and just start developing the renewables, when we look at investment numbers, the numbers are only going down since 2019. Wait, you said going down. So it's not a matter of their, the money's there and things are too expensive or whatever. It's just the funding's not there. It's actually declining. I think it's a combination of many factors. If we look at global level, we can see that money to fund clean technology and energy transition specifically is there. Every year we reach a new record. In 2021, we saw about $785 billion deployed at a global level for uh, energy transition technologies, including power, transport, and buildings, for example. But 2021 was also the year where emerging markets accounted for the smallest share of this total, about only 8% of the total. And those countries are responsible for a big share of global emissions. So if we don't start now focusing on those countries where demand is growing, that would opt to build coal or fossil fuel capacity, and then accelerate the transition, we're not going to get anywhere close to staying below 1.5 degrees of global warming. You mentioned the global investments going down, but are there any other factors that are preventing some of those emerging markets from deploying more capital? I mean, is it really the cost of these things or a lack of supply chain or any factors like that? The thing is, it's not really the cost at all, right? When we look at cost of wind and solar, we see very clearly that at least in two thirds of the world, those technologies, one of those technologies at least is already the cheapest source of new power. So it's not about cost. But in many emerging markets, there is either lack of policy or barriers that artificially increase the cost of deploying those technologies, uh, meaning that they cannot make use of the learning curves and the steep drop in technology costs. So I said it's not about the money not being there. It's really not. The money is there. Private sector is more and more willing to start deploying capital to emerging markets, but they need and they will always need some specific criteria related to country risk and project risk to be able to go in. And that's not going to change. That might become a bit more flexible over time, but it's not going to completely change. So what is needed there is to make sure that all the key stakeholders that are responsible for ensuring the transition do their job and focus on the areas where they can actually reach greatest potential. To provide more examples, it means like making sure that policymakers implement the policies that are fundamental to 
lower project risk, lower this perception of risk, and provide clarity on the direction that the country has to go while reducing some of those barriers which relate to infrastructure, for example, or to specific regulations that don't serve the market well. Development agencies, philanthropic organizations, and other international agencies have two jobs to do. First one is help some of those policymakers to implement the policies that we know that we'll start transitioning the market and open the market for those sources of private capital. And then once those are in place, they are the players that can help kick off the first projects, which will then lower project risk and welcome private investors to the market. We'll be right back. In today's complex bond market, it can be challenging for institutional investors to meet their fixed income goals. That's why MFS Investment Management's Active 360 Fixed Income Approach strives to capitalize on market volatility, seeking alpha to drive long-term results. To learn more, visit mfs.com slash fixed income. And now back to our conversation. Okay, and when it comes to new sources of energy being deployed, When we take the global snapshot, are more countries, when they choose to build out more capacity, are more countries choosing renewables or are they still just tapping fossil fuels? Solar specifically has become the top of mind of countries all over the world, which is great. This is what we need, right? This is only the starting point, but this is what is going to get us to where we need to be. Based on our research, country level research that we do every year for climate scope, we saw that In 2021, at least 120 countries in the world have added some solar capacity. This is big. This is up from only over 50 in 2012. The other interesting thing that we found is that when we look at what is the technology that countries are adding the most, we see that 50% of the countries in the globe have added more solar capacity than anything else. Wow. So half the countries in the world have added more solar than anything else. So what's wrong with the other half of the countries? (laughs) Uh, Some of them are are also focusing on clean technologies. Wind, for example, accounts for 13% of the countries in the world. So 13% of the countries in the world have chosen to add more wind than anything else. And then hydro represents 15%. There is still the countries that are choosing gas and oil. The good news is that the number of countries choosing coal has gone down by a lot. Okay, so I'm trying to imagine a graph here. So countries are choosing to add more sources of energy. Sounds like solar is more than 50%. Wind is in there at what percentage? 13. Okay, and then hydro and geothermal and kind of other renewables, what are those at? Uh, Hydro is at 15. So 15% of the countries chose hydro. Geotherm is not really there. It doesn't mean that those technologies are not being added. It means that they're not being the main one installed in a year. And for me, this is a huge thing. And it's huge when we understand that the reason why we're seeing this number, of course, policy plays a great role in that. But if we look back at like five years ago, 10 years ago, policy was the only driver of those choices. So only countries in Europe, for example, a few years ago, were seeing more wind or solar added than any other technology. And that was because they had, they were at the forefront of implementing policies to accelerate deployment of those technologies. This is not true today. 
now is it more markets, market-driven decisions? Now it's economics, right? So as those technologies get cheaper and cheaper, it just makes more sense. Policy is fundamental to scale up, especially. So you won't see the trend in absolute number for lower income emerging markets change when the policy is not there. But it's very important that we now have economics leading the way. Because then as soon as the policy is implemented, the barriers are addressed. It's so easy to just shift the direction of those markets because it just makes sense economically. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the importance of policy, right? Kind of policy leading the way for economics, because as you know, we have COP27 coming right around the corner here. And I understand you're going to be in attendance uh, in Egypt. So what are some of the trends you see and what are some of the other hopes you have for that event? You know, any, any policy decisions you're hoping that are advanced or finalized? Seem like you've got a good beat on what to expect at a gathering like this. So, so what are you hoping for? I think my first concern is I mentioned the co-news or bad news. And because one of the key drivers of the spike in co-generation in 2021 only got worse, which is the gas prices and the energy crisis, we are very likely to see another spike in co-generation in 2022. And this is pretty much against the direction that we need to go. So we need to find solutions to just get back <laughs> to the direction that we were discussing at COP26. To provide something that's very concerning is at COP26, about 40 countries committed to retire coal capacity. Half of those countries, over 20 of those countries, have recorded an increase in coal generation in 2021. So like even those that are like, just making the bold commitments this year, last year started to just go into the opposite direction. What are your reasons for that? I mean, I don't have the list of those 20 countries in front of me, but is it countries that were hit by the, the war in Ukraine and kind of needed to, to find another source or what are we talking about? I think it's a mix of the three factors, really fast economic growth, droughts, uh, which didn't get any better this year, and the gas prices, which only got started going up last year. So this year, it's much worse, uh, much more concerning. Many European countries have already announced that they're restarting some of their coal plants to deal with this situation, at least in the short term. My hope is that the energy crisis becomes a good thing in a way that countries start really understanding, as many already are, that transitioning to clean energy is not just a matter of climate change, but also a matter of energy security, which has become fundamental. But I think we still need to see more concrete action in this direction. You mentioned droughts as one of the drivers of some of these countries, you know, reverting back to coal. So as someone who kind of covers this industry, I feel like the importance of hydro is underreported, if you will. And so I don't know if a lot of consumers, when they hear news about a drought, understand the direct connection it can have in, in some countries and some regions for power generation, right? Through hydro. What can be done to kind of just raise that awareness or help more people make that connection? That's a good point and a good question. I'm not sure if I actually have an answer to that, but this is something that's extremely clear in my mind. Uh, I'm Brazilian and hydro supplies most of the electricity in Brazil. Other clean technologies have been growing, but hydro still supplies most of it. And over the past years, we have faced a lot of droughts, which impacted a lot on our daily basis, not only at cost, but for example, when I was a kid, 
there was a massive initiative to just reduce public lighting. Otherwise, we would not have power because after all, it's over months. So people were just like going to every street and painting the street lights that had to be turned off to just help us deal with this issue. And this is a big thing in, I think, many emerging markets, but it has never been top of the mind of people because it's in emerging markets. Now that it's affecting, I think, more and more developed countries, the concerns and the, ten- the, the focus has started turning a bit more to to hydropower. And from my experience, like the reason why we don't talk so much about hydro at like when we are talking about numbers is because hydro is very important, but the role of hydro and the participation of hydro has been pretty much stable over the years. So if you look at like the share of generation that hydro is responsible for, it's pretty much the same uh, over the past decade. Uh, but it plays a huge role in many markets that rely a lot on hydro in allowing more and more wind and solar penetration to come in without such a big need to deploy a lot of energy storage, which makes those technologies more expensive at the moment. Okay. And then getting back to COP27 real quick, are there any specific things you're hoping are announced or agreed upon? I remember, you know, in Glasgow it was you know, specific articles that, you know, everyone was happy to kind of see advanced. So, you know, as an insider at a place like that, if I were to talk to you in a few weeks time now, when that conference is wrapped up, you know, what are you hoping are some of the key things that are actually accomplished and not just talked about? My personally, my main hope and my main expectation for COP is that the buzz around emerging markets and around Africa that we're seeing right now remains true when COP is over. I've never seen so much attention paid in emerging markets. This is a good thing because we really need to make sure that we transition away from fossil fuels and into renewables in those countries. And doing so is more complex in emerging markets than in developed countries. And we also need to ensure just transition in which the clean energy deployment and the transition away from coal and other sources also enable social development. There are many cases in which COP-related discussions don't last long, uh, which sadly is illustrated by the fact that like, there's so much more coal being generated in the countries that have committed to phasing out coal capacity. But I think... This is an area that we can benefit a lot from. Are there any countries in Africa that you, know, you kind of hold up as an example of where there's promise? Because I mean, I, part of the reason the COP's being held in Africa is to bring that spotlight you know, to that continent. So any individual countries there you see that really kind of seem like they're providing a roadmap for the rest of the continent? We are looking very close at Africa right now. And we have always through many, many initiatives that we have here at BNAV. And There are many countries that see booms and spikes in finance for renewables and technology. But if I had to name one of the key barriers limiting investment flows is that in most of the countries, the procurement of renewables is very inconsistent, which means that investors have no clarity on where to look at or how and when to finance. We had countries that have had good moments of success. Of course, South Africa is the biggest one, one country that has had examples of what good looks like as well as what bad looks like. And now is trying to start to just move again 
to the direction of phasing out coal and accelerating the renewables through many policies. But we also saw some good cases in countries like Kenya, Nigeria over the years, especially with rural electrification. Uh, Rwanda is a very impressive market in terms of stability, in terms of policies and engagement from the government that I think can also provide good examples for the region. But consistency is the issue. And I think for many of the markets aligned with other policies, if there is clear direction of the market and consistent procurement, we can see those countries booming really, really quick. All right. Now, one of the things I like to do with guests on this show, uh, Luisa, is to ask them for their bold predictions. And you seem like someone who's, who's very well positioned to kind of see trends and see what people are going to be talking about, not only now, but in the future. So do you have any bold predictions on where we'll be with this transition, what this report will look like in, say, five years? Starting from 2022, I think we will still be in a bittersweet moment, not very different from where we are now. I think the coal numbers are likely to get a lot worse because of the energy crisis, because of what many European nations are needing to do, uh, as well as some countries in Asia as well. But I also believe that we will only go up with renewables. So while we could be in a worse position with coal, we'll also be installing more renewables than ever. And every year generating more and more from wind or solar specifically. A bit more longer term, I'm optimistic. I don't think I would be doing what I do if I was consistently uh, pessimistic about the topic. And I do think that despite the fact that many countries are not implementing the fundamental policies that they should be, many are actually evolving. And at the same time, I see really good movement from the, the private sector to understand what role they should be playing and how they can actually accelerate investment into emerging markets, for example. So I think we're going to be in a good point in five years from now. Not sure if this is exactly where we need to be at, but I think the trend is positive overall. What I would like to see is the middle stakeholder that is extremely fundamental playing a more decisive role to just connect public and private sector in a way that's functional and accelerate the transition. Specifically, I'm talking about development agencies, for example, and philanthropic organizations that can act and connect both sides and ensure that we get there as soon as possible. Okay. Well, I, I echo your hopes and I hope that all does come together because like you, I'm, I'm not pessimistic on this. I'm, I'm optimistic. So Lisa, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it and enjoy your trip to Egypt and I hope everything goes well at COP27. Thank you, Sean. It was a pleasure. That's our show for today. But before we get out of here, Colin and I want to say one final thank you to the exclusive sponsor of today's episode, MFS Investment Management. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at ModernMoneyPod. And if you'd like a daily dose of Modern Money news delivered to your inbox, head on over to smartbrief.com and sign up for the Modern Money Smart Brief. The Modern Money Smart Pod is a production of Smart Brief, a future company.